This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash PCPer and enter code PCPer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode number 413, being recorded August 17th. Um, Alan Malventano. I'm a Jeremy Holstrom. Uh, I'm a really washed out Josh Walrath. <laughs> and Sebastian is muted, but he's here. Somebody muted him. Or I, muted I, him. I muted myself. There he goes. He's batting zero That's tonight. That's the best way. Oh... <sighs> All right, uh, so, yeah, we're here, and I'm back from the Flash Memory Summit and stuff, but I, I have secretly replaced Ryan, who is now at basically in the same place that I was. Um, the, the, the chat figured it out. They yeah, asked what? if Ryan got fired. We weren't going public with that yet, uh, but, yeah, but they, since they figured it out, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to tell them. It was a sad day. I had to pull him yeah. into the back room and set him down and... Tell him his services were no longer required. Now we have no idea who's going to keep the lights on here, but, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, so we're doing a podcast. Podcast at PCPro.com. That's it's how you find lie. us. That's, that's, no, no, it's not like the cake. It's podcast at PCPro.com. It's well, look thing. up when you're talking. Well, it's, I'm, I'm looking at the notes. I gotta look at the but notes. But you should look at the camera and memorize the notes. Well, You're like a SAS guy where you take one look around the room and you memorize everything. Yeah, Jason Bourne, I am not. Sorry. Or at least yeah, but you were a nuclear engineer. Nuclear engineers can only memorize the contents of very large technical manuals and then regurgitate all of them. Not just look around. We'll look around the room, we're clueless. We can't even find the things that we're supposed to be controlling. Well, that makes me very happy to have <laughs> such a well-trained nuclear navy. <laughs> They're really good with their books. And, you know, when something screws up, theoretically exactly speaking, why we should up. have no nuclear accidents whatsoever with this training. Uh, yeah. When something screws up, they know exactly what color book it is in. Yes, yes. <laughs> Luckily, they're all black. So, all right. Uh, yeah, pcpro.com slash podcast, uh, twitter.com slash Ryan Shroud is the boss, uh, who's not here, twitter.com slash pcper is the other place where you find the stuff posted that we're talking about. Um, we have, oh, there it is. We have a spam list. Wait, not a spam list. PC Perspective mailing list. That's where you would have gotten an email letting you know that we're doing the live recording of this show, uh... If you were subscribed, if not, well, then you probably should subscribe. And the only things we send out there are just those sorts of things like, hey, we're about to stream something really cool in the next couple of minutes. You might want to check it out. That sort of thing. Um, also, we are on Patreon. This is something that helps us keep the lights on and stuff. So, you know, if you like what we're doing, please consider contributing to our Patreon. I cannot read the changes to the Patreon live on the show because I am not the person that those emails go to. But, uh, you know. Ryan will be reading them anyways. He will read them. He will just be at the event he's at and he will just stand up and just start reading aloud. And then he'll do plenty of face palming. So, Uh, so, you know, try to make him laugh. 
Yeah. He's, 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 he's traveling really horrific you know. to him. Yes. He, he's working. Just, just, just make him make him chuckle when he looks yes, at his phone. Yes. You should label like label your something. Your new product sucks, and he'll say that out loud in the middle of the brief where he's yeah. at. Zen, Zen is a lie. The, the, the Zen is a lie. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you know. All right. Uh, anything from uh, you guys before we get into the into the week in the review? Apparently, Jeremy, uh, his lower third says Josh Walrath. Sweet. Oh, God. No, no it says no, Sebastian no, Peek. Oh. It's Josh Tech. <laughs> Even worse. Well, then, I like it. Sebastian, then. Well, Josh Tech is taking over. Yeah, who is Sebastian, then? Go to Sebastian. Oh. I'm seeing I'm double. Full of Sebastians. Oh, oh okay. That's, that's much better. Well, we needed but more Sebastian. Really because... coming up Sebastian. <laughs> yeah. We needed more Thank Sebastians. Thank you, Jeremy. I mean, you know, everybody can use a few more Sebastians. All right. Uh, first up, review. Lee Garbett did a Cooler Master Master Box 5 Mid-Tower Case Review, which actually looks pretty cool, although I sadly have not got to read this review yet. But, but I know somebody who has. Oh, but, but do have you? Yes. Hopefully one of you guys can bail me out. It's a Mahjong. It looks yeah, pretty I cool. Read, I read the review. It's, it's kind of your, your now standard fully open interior mid-tower enclosure. Got a huge side panel window. It look at that space. There's a lot of room in there. It's yeah, it's got a lot of room. I wouldn't say that there's anything that especially stands out about the design. It's it's a very basic kind of understated design, which I like. It's very much the, in the vein does of it like have the, space for the, optical drives. Hey, look, it's the no, master. Not. It's the master box. What box? It's a cooler Dude. master box box. Yeah, cooler Came. master master box box. Yes. Yeah. Like so many cases, the last like three or four years, there just are not five and a quarter inch bays on this thing That's which is wrong. what gives it that cavernous interior you can do anything you want with oh, you know yeah. radiators on the front radiators on you the know, top people have been have been arrested for doing whatever they want with their pc cases in public yeah and especially in sweden with pigs masks yes hmm. at laser hmm. pointers david cameron david you cameron? know Brian Brian did unspeakable things to a uh, hp blackbird 002 enclosure i believe it has sort of a uh, beveled uh, 2001 Space Odyssey uh, monolith design going there. Yeah, they just added a bevel. And even though, even though it's actually it's not real big, it's just a mid tower, as you can see. But it still supports EATX motherboards. It's got plenty of width on the inside. And I almost choked. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> wow. Oh, it'll swallow six and a half inches, no problem. <laughs> Can fit big coolers in there. So oh, you, you're saying you're that coolers. you could okay, put good. a five and a quarter inch in, but it just rejects it offhand. Yep. Uh, you could put it in, but I don't think you'd really be able to feel anything. <laughs> there's there's a few chat room comments that I refuse to read, but are amazing. Yeah, um, I, I feel like we're losing this, but basically, it's a very nice, like affordable mid tower design that has good airflow. Uh, we did not do any um, like benchmark testing, so I can't give you like exact numbers on how well it did as far as temperatures. But it has a mesh front panel, so it's it's not going to be the quietest design. In designs like this that I've tested, you get great airflow, but a little bit higher noise. So use quieter components, and this thing will be fine. But okay, storage room. It had a little bit knocked off the final tally because. It only comes with a limited number of uh, hard drive bays, 
and there are like these optional SSD bays that you need. Yeah, well, which uh, there's only one included, so you'd have to buy separately the a couple more SSD brackets if you wanted to put more SSDs on the inside. But that's kind of annoying. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, you're so going to go M.2 award. from here on out, right? Who needs SSDs when you got M.2? Well, that's true. And Gigabyte right, boards are free. That's I would true like also. to look at the price on this to see. Because if this is like bucks. a $100 case, I think it probably should have come with them. But if it's like $69, bucks. then. Uh, let's 80 see. bucks? It is 80 bucks. Yep. That's okay. not bad. So I can kind of see that. I mean, I've seen that from like Fantex will include like one or two when they have space for three. It just it, it just bothers me when you have stuff that has an extra couple of accessories that it doesn't come with initially, especially if it's something like a case, because I tend to go several years before needing to upgrade the case, and chances are, like, when you did want to use that extra bracket later on for some expansion or something, then it's like, oh, now I have to find the eol product that, you know, that they don't have the stock brackets for anymore and are impossible to find. So ah, it's just, 3D no, printing is the future. It, yeah, I guess. <laughs> oh, I guess. God. Hey, you know, for, for, for structural stability... Is is it ribbed? For for who's did Ryan stand on it? Uh, no, no, Ryan did not stand on it. Actually, it looks like on Amazon it's only sixty nine bucks. Oh, so even better. That, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. That is pretty good. So we're we're getting into that territory where I can see why it wouldn't have like everything with it. It's got one uh, exhaust fan. It looks like that comes with it. So just kind of what you'd expect for that. Why is that funny? <laughs> How many exhausts? I'm get a single exhaust port. <sighs> so that's the Masterbox Five <laughs> Mid Tower Enclosure from Cooler Master. Uh, glad we're read at the that review one. at PCPer.com. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan, who is still missing, unfortunately, hasn't shown up in the past ten minutes. Um, Nvidia Pascal Mobile. Uh, apparently, they have. Uh, I I did not ask the Echo anything, and yet it could not find the answer to my question. That's why. Uh, it's a good thing, too. Uh, so GTX 1080, 1070, 1060s, all showing up in a gaming or mobile platform near you, apparently. Uh, what was... I know they backed up... Didn't they back off on the core count on some of these, or... Let's see. No, that's... Uh, that's interesting. Uh, 1060. The, the mobile 1070 has more cores than at, the desktop yep. 1070. At a slightly lower clock. At a slightly lower clock, which might maybe make it like the same performance or maybe, depending on the game, like beat the desktop part? I think that would be the intention of using the 1070 brand for not the identical chip. Is they're trying to elude performance. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, that's arguable whether that's very legitimate or not because it's not straightforward if you say it's a 1070 you would expect it to be a 1070 but yeah. you know although i think compared to the desktop parts i would have, i would suspect the mobile parts didn't overclock as easily probably not yeah so because they probably got a lot of the other things dialed back a little more like you know v core and stuff like that um yeah because huh. because wider at a slower speed could potentially consume less power yeah because you have exponential power consumption the faster you clock something up. Yep. All right, so did they... Except Ken. Yeah. You can apply as much power to him and he just keeps going. Did they show... At the same speed. All right, so <laughs> apparently improved version of battery boost, 
Uh, it's going into a bunch of different laptops, of course. Um, VR stuff, which we still haven't seen. Uh, I don't even know if... What is that um, That game and video launched for VR? Uh, the, the circus one. The Funhouse? Playhouse? Yeah, Playhouse. Funhouse. Whatever. Yeah, Funhouse demo or whatever. I don't even... I guess, they launched it. I guess that's using the uh, um, SMP. I the multi projection thing. I would hope so, since that's like you know. I would hope that's the first thing to use it as the thing that actually came from the company. But I haven't tried the Funhouse demo on uh, Pascal hardware yet. Yeah. I've tried it on a 980. It was still good, but I imagine the you know detail probably cranks way up when you when you run it on uh, Pascal. So um, we'll, we'll probably leave most of this Pascal Mobile stuff to Ryan because he was just at the editor's day. So when he's back next week, should be able to give a better understanding of what's new. And I think he has a laptop in that he's doing performance testing on, maybe a little more in-depth of review. So this is a thing. It's coming. It looks like laptops are just starting to ship. I think MSI and then uh, Gigabyte, we had news posts up for the announcement of their machines. Yep. I mean, they're, they're just squeaking in under the back-to-school. Yep. And then yeah. there's that, that beast of an Asus uh, OC edition. Or was that the desktop part in that one? So to the back, red lights. Are those like heat emitters that you touch them and you get branded? Yeah, it's, it's glowing. <laughs> they're just glowing red because of the heat. It output. also makes it's it go hot. faster. Yeah. They're brake lights. <laughs> just stop. Every time you quit a game, the brakes come on. All right. Uh, well, speaking of gaming laptops with uh, Pascal, MSI updates gaming laptops with NVIDIA Pascal graphics. Gee, as if we didn't see this one coming. All right. Uh, so you can get those laptops with 1080, 1070, 1060. Um, Look at the GT83 VR Titan SLI, which oh, is the first one man. on the left. Oh, on that chart. wait. They labeled them all Titan? And there's not a single Titan to be pounds. seen. That is, that's been their brand for a while. Oh, for that laptop. Yeah, it's it's stupid, the flagship but... is the Titan. The price tag on this thing is, is $5,100. What the heck? That's the it's one over with... 10 pounds. Oh, that's and the it's one. It's got a crappy webcam on too. <laughs> that's the one that's but... like that, that, um, that 80s version of the portable desktop computer where the keyboard folded out, you know. It's got the mechanical uh, keyboard on it. It looks like it. a big old... Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, a beast it's, of a it's laptop. It's got your EMX switches, but it has... Two GTX 1080s in it. Desktop or mobile? Uh, It doesn't specify. None of these really specified, and I have not seen. It's going to be mobile. There's no reason to put 300 watts of GPU power into a laptop unless you just want to use it once. I mean, they did it's hair. 1080p. Yeah, it's 1080p. <laughs> they, they, so this, it, I, I'm guessing that's for a VR headset then. Uh, you mean the dual GPUs for a VR? Yeah, why headset? would you need two 1080s for a 1080p panel? Well, uh, there is there is not there is not yet a single application of dual GPUs for VR yet. Then I have no idea why. Yeah. this product exists. It's not a thing yet. The Super one scaling, below that is GT73 VR, and the VR branding is on all of these. Yeah, has a single 1080 and an, a 4K panel. Uh, seems backwards to me. Yeah, and that yeah. one's four thousand dollars. But they move all the way down the line. Like all of these, like they, the gaming laptops start at like what is it, fifteen ninety nine for the GS forty three, 
And it has a 1060 in it. So they use 1060s through 1080s on these at various price points. Same process. You're still talking Skylake, like i7 6700 HQ through the top end, like 6920 HQ. So they all all have i7s. Interesting. They all have fast storage and a lot of memory. That 4K screen in the center of the line just looks out of place. But I I know. Uh, So, like... Those will probably be desktop 1080s because the, the last generation one has two desktop 980s in it. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. like I mean, it is possible to fit them in there. I, I don't think there is, like, the, I don't think there's a, without having completely read Ryan saying, I don't think there's a 1080M, a 1070M, or a 1060M. I think there are modified versions of the desktop chips yeah. for that will go in notebooks, not completely separate GPUs like we've seen in the past. They're just kind of slightly tweaked versions of the full-size GPUs. So I would imagine that maybe you can reconfigure that top-of-the-line one and add even more money to it and uh, oh, yeah. get 4K if you really wanted it. Uh, no, because no? it's the 18-inch screen on that one. Oh. Which is why they don't have the new 120 hertz G-Sync okay. laptop panel in there. Okay. They're kind of got, they've kind of shoehorned themselves that so, in that 18-inch form factor. That is so weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. The other part of the announcement was that select machines, they called it, equipped with the 10 series, are going to include 120 hertz IPS panels. That's just awesome. 120 hertz G-Sync 1080p laptop with the 1080 in it. Yeah. What more could yeah, you really the want? The is it's like the prize in a Cracker Jack box because they don't actually tell you on the box. It's just which model you bought. Oh. oh. I'd like a 24-inch hey. screen with that. Thanks. <laughs> mm. yeah. You can plug one in. I sure can. <laughs> and then there's three other models that have VR in the name. Um, I don't. We don't have to go over this stuff. Just that. Oh, announces, there's a whole bunch of people are announcing machines. You know. Yeah. We can move on with our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah, move yeah. the show along. If you like a gaming notebook, there are now a lot of new options. Yep. Yep. Like all yeah, three Gigabyte of those. announced similar hey, things. If, if you like oh, a yeah, gaming notebook, you can keep it. So, so basically, all that same stuff we said also applies to uh, Gigabyte. Uh, I don't know if they're doing dual desktop 1080s in there. No, they're not. And I have to look at it again. I they think don't they don't even have a 1080, 1080 I don't think. Uh, really? 1070s is their highest. But look at the resolution yeah. of UHD IPS. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. And not on the list, but uh, EVGA, that SC17 notebook they have, they also updated that to a 1070. So it looks like... MSI and probably Asus are going to be aggressive and do a 1080, and a lot of other people are going to be doing like 1070, 1060. I'm sure just for space, heat, battery life concerns. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the old uh, EVGA laptop only had a 1080M in it. They didn't actually put the desktop one in there, so it's good to see like the full mobile-ish variant of the 1070. There's got to be a better name for this. Yeah, we need some sort of clarification on that. It's very confusing. I got it. What if they put mobile at the end of it so that we know it's the mobile-specific part? Or shorten mobile to, like, M. Just put, like, the letter M after the... Uh, it's that, crazy That talk. could work. That could work. Uh, Lucid Mew in the chat said that there is an Asus with SLI 1080s and 4K. Different model. I wonder if it's that water-cooled one. It might be. <laughs> Maybe. It might be. Has that one ever um, really gone on sale? Yeah, it did. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure a couple of crazy people bought it. Probably. Okay. Uh, so. So. Next up. Next. 
10 nanometer CPUs. Well, why not? That's pretty cool. I know. It's it's like the next big jump. You know what I'm saying? Uh, ARM's doing it, huh? Well, not only is ARM doing it, uh-huh. but Intel's fabricating it. Well. It's like a match made in hell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really is. Well, you know, maybe maybe for the guy who was doing the Intel roadmap five years ago, it is a match made in hell. I mean, that's, but that's for, as much as Intel has been trying to push into the mobile space with low-power, small parts, and then... Did they smack themselves in the face? Like, literally? Did they just walk out of that meeting going, what you know, the hell just I, happened? I, I think economics just kind of bent them over and paddled them. Yeah. Because here's the deal. Intel really wanted mobile, ultra mobile. Like, sub one watt, you know, 500 milliwatt type products with, with you know, thermal envelopes. And uh, they were never able to deliver a product that people wanted to buy. Certainly they had, you know, things that kind of competed well, but they were fighting against an environment that had been built up for decades around ARM products. And certainly, you know, while smartphones have not been around since, you know, I guess, you know, 2005 were some of the first ones and then iPhone in 2007, um... You know, Intel ignored all of that, even though Apple came to him and said, hey, can you make a SOC that can do this, this, this? You've got the fabrication technology. You've got the amount of manpower to deliver the product. And Intel said, you know what? That's just not matching the prices that we really want to sell at. And, and uh, boy, that was that was kind of a watershed event. And so ARM has, you know, they have a technology and an architecture that is mobile focused. X86 is a great architecture. I mean, certainly in the end of the 90s, before we went to 64 bit, people were complaining about the inefficiencies of X86. But they've done so many things, you know, uh, uh, rotating registers and expanded registers with X86 64. And all of these, you know, this, this kind of semi risk architecture where you've got Cisco on the outside and then. Uh, a risk essentially core, you know, things breaking up into uh, micro ops and macro ops. It's become a high performance, really good architecture that is kind of powering the world, but shoehorning it into did I say shoehorning? <laughs> we shoe-horning. were just going to skip over that. <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, shoehorning it into sub milliwatt envelopes is problematic. And I know that uh, me saying problematic is problematic, but it's true because uh, there, there are certain hurdles that you've got to, got to take to be able to put this architecture into that kind of envelope. And Intel did a pretty good job and they had the process technology to really kind of push this. But in the end, the, the cost the power efficiency, the battery performance, even with an, an advanced process node that they were able to throw at it, they were not able to get market share that they were hoping to. And so earlier this year, they just kind of cut off mobile. I mean, this this ultra mobile, you know, sub five watt uh, envelope out. And they just kind of ceded that market to ARM and its partners. 
So really, what do you want to do? You've got all of these mega fabs that you're producing as many CPUs as you can sell, but you've still got excess capacity. And if you have to shutter or mothball or power kind of down a, a fab, it costs a lot of money to the bottom line. And so logically, what do you think? Well, I can either just lose this money or I could sell some of the space to these guys who are actually competing in the mobile market and charge them money for every chip that I produce for them. I can get a cut of that. And even though I'm not directly competing and I'm not getting the sweet margins that I do from the CPU side on the desktop and laptops, I can still get a cut of that pie. And a cut of that pie is better than nothing. And so Intel and ARM came out uh, yesterday, I believe, that uh, ARM products are going to be produced on the Intel Foundry Group's 10 nanometer HGM process, HSM, I can't remember HPM. which. HPM. And so uh, first products are going to be start, they will start production in the first quarter of 2017. We don't know the limits of this production. It's going to be pretty basic, uh, a lot of test stuff, a lot of small runs. Uh, they're going to be start you know, ramping it up, and then by Q4 of 2017, we'll we'll see real full production numbers of ARM-based products on an Intel fabricated process, which is just kind of amazing. I, I believe that their foundry process will not be as advanced. It won't have some of the secret sauces. What they're going to be doing for 10 nanometer CPUs on the desktop side but it's still going to be pretty good. It's still going to be very competitive. They're going to make sure it's very competitive. They're going to have good tools out. Uh, libraries are going to be well, you know, documented. And, and um, sounds like a great money to, way to recoup some R and D money on the process. You know what? Fabs are extremely expensive to run. And if you look at the growth of the cost of running a fab from 1995 to now, it's insane. We're talking five hundred million dollars then. And $4 billion now. And so if they're not running them at full speed, 24-7, 365 days a year, 366 in leap years, um, you're losing money. And Intel does not want to do that. They have sweet, fat margins. And mothballing a fab is a really huge capital expenditure, not only in physical aspect, as, aspects, but the workforce that they've got to lay off to be able to enable that. And so, yeah, this is a logical progression in a changing world. They weren't able to compete effectively in mobile. They gave it their best shot. They had some pretty decent products, but the market just did not accept it. And instead of throwing more good money after bad they they cut their losses they said enough is enough and you know what we're going to open up space to certain partners that that we feel are are you know non-competitive to our primary assets and uh you know we're going to see these products in in late 2017 across a variety of of mobile platforms cool here's a question scott just had in uh, chat 
He's asking, what do you think the effect on TSMC will be? Assuming Intel in the next couple of years gets up to production level with ARM stuff. You think TSMC will start to hurt? Yes and no. It's going to take some of the shine off TSMC. It's going to probably take some shine off of Global Foundries. But I believe that Intel has four 14 nanometer enabled fabs. And say, you know, they they get all of these guys over to 10 nanometer, but they only have enough uh, internal stuff to, to handle three of them. Then they've got one fab that will do everybody else. Now you look at TSMC and they've got something like 12 fabs that, uh, you know, I don't know how many of them are, are 16 nanometer. I think they're at least at four. There just won't be enough wafer starts that Intel, you know, for the time being, will, will allocate to these third party ASIC designers. That will take away a whole lot of um, you know fab space and, and and line space from TSMC and Global Foundries. So they're taking a chunk of the market, sure, but the price of these advanced manufacturing uh, processes is just so astronomical. It's it's not like there are you know a hundred fabs around the world that can that can do this. There's more like 16, less than 16. And so if they're dedicating one fab, one of their mega fabs to third-party ASICs, yeah, they're taking some some money away from the competition, but not that much. I mean, they're essentially, they're not taking away, they're adding capacity. Because right now, Samsung, Global Foundries, TSMC, they are booked with 16 and 14 nanometer process node orders. They can't switching fulfill the Switching what? node process would cost some money because they'd have to shut something down and they're already full out. You yeah, I mean, they're not shutting anything down. They're not getting line space taken away from them. Uh, there's just so much demand. And, and we'll go into this in the next story that I'll talk about. So yeah, I mean it's it's not a subtraction, it's it's an additive effect that they're providing more line space for the demand that is truly there because everybody wants more powerful less battery sucking mobile devices. Everybody wants a GPU that can run either three screens or at 4K resolutions without being a power and heat hog, the demand is there. We just don't have enough fabrication from all the different partners. And so uh, it's a it's a plus-plus pretty much for the entire industry. Well, except that we've got to compare and comp- contrast the quality of the process technology from Intel and what Global Foundries, TSMC, and Samsung will be offering at that same time frame. All right. Should be interesting. It should be interesting. All right, cool. Uh, I got to talk more, don't I? Yeah, you do. You do. About NVIDIA's Q2 uh, 
financial results. <laughs> yeah, they kicked ass. All right. How much, uh, how much yeah. ass did they kick? Uh, $1.43 billion of revenue from NVIDIA. This was announced on Friday. It was their largest Q2 quarter ever. And if you consider that, um, you know, for a long time, you know, going over a billion dollars was about an eight-year endeavor from NVIDIA. Uh, from 1994 to, I believe, about 2002 is when they first had their first billion-dollar quarter. And it went up and down and up and down, and it never really grew uh, very much from that $1 billion back in 2002. And I've, we've had a variety of issues. I mean, architecturally, they had the GeForce FX. They had other setbacks. We, we've had kind of a PC slowdown. Uh, it was like a big explosion outside of my house. Hopefully it's not my children, but you never can tell. Um, and so we've had a variety of economic factors that have stop them from growing at the rate that we expected them to back in 2002. Um, but now they've, they've kind of reached a threshold where their growth is looking to go a lot farther than where they have previously. So it was what, uh, when I say 1.4, I've got to get my numbers up. 1.428 billion. And they made in net income. That's, that's, Free money, well, not free money, but it's profit. $253 million. That's that's a pretty good chunk of change. And they're How coming off of a really... What? How many leather jackets would that be? That would make a lot of leather jackets. They could provide, like, all of San Jose a leather jacket for each person living there. Get them all out like Jensen? Yeah, and uh, so that would not that would not make him special anymore. It's true. Yeah, but anyway, uh, you know, compare that to, you know, Q1 2017, which is their funky, funky financial calendar, which is off from the real time calendar that pretty much everybody else uses. Uh, it was a big increase in both revenue and net income. And you can see diluted earnings per share was a big jump up. And uh, take a look back at... Uh, Q2 of 2016. I mean, that's that's $300 million more that they made without kind of any new products. I mean, certainly Q2 did introduce us to, uh, to the Pascal architecture, and it was shipping, but we really don't know how much of an impact that had on their bottom line. It's going to have, you know, a decent amount, but is it going to be $300 million? I don't know, but NVIDIA is doing very, very, very well, and especially compare and contrast that to AMD, which is, you know, they're they're at about a billion dollars of revenue, and they ship both GPUs and CPUs, so they're obviously doing something really well. Uh, you know, make as much fun of the management as you want. Uh, they're keeping things on an even keel. They're keeping their debt in uh, in order. Uh, they continue to hire more people that provide real resources to the company in terms of design and engineering. And, uh, you know, they're just kind of like going through the roof. And we look at their Q3 
uh, expectations, and it's one point six eight billion dollars, which is the biggest quarter, if 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 I'm correct, that Nvidia would ever have if they reach these expectations. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. They're they're shipping uh, plenty of of Pascal parts, not only to the consumer market, but they've started with uh, the professional market. Um, their P100. Uh, it's in limited production now, but it is actually. I mean, we've we've seen them sign off uh, to to an AI group. You know, one of the first uh, uh, rack mount servers that had a bunch of these P100 uh, uh, graphics, well, processing chips in them. Um, so they're doing they're doing well. I mean, there's there's no if and or buts about it. I mean, they've got a 250 million dollar revenue. On uh, one point four two eight billion uh, for the quarter, they they're doing they're doing well. Now, the other thing I talked about, and something you may want to read about, is they're they're looking to move away from TSMC as their primary supplier and possibly doing more with Samsung. Now, I talked about this quite a bit in the article and compared and contrast Samsung's process to what we potentially see going on with global foundries, what AMD has experienced with that particular process, their 14 nanometer, uh, was it LPP low power plus that they've been using and, uh, you know, talk about yields, um, how that process is moving along with global foundries. So you should read that up. Uh, some interesting speculation there, but it looks like that uh, at, in the second half of this, you know, we're talking November, December, we may start seeing advanced parts from NVIDIA utilizing Samsung Fab. So that's kind of an interesting change. Cool. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Ryan Shrout. Cutting in here to make sure we give credit where credit is due to our sponsor for this week's episode of the PC Perspective Podcast, Casper. That's right. We all know Casper. They are the uh, uh, online retailer of premium mattresses at a fraction of the cost. They revolutionized the mattress industry uh, by cutting out the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings on to you guys. Uh, And we have the ability to pass more savings on to you with coupon codes as well. So that's obviously important. Casper mattresses are uh, obsessively engineered. They combine uh, a couple of technologies, springy latex foam and supportive memory foam. So you get the best of both worlds there. Uh, Just the right amount of sink and bounce, as they like to say. It's a breathable design, helps you regulate your temperature through the night. I have a Casper mattress. I love it. Uh, I was sleeping on it just today after a red-eye flight, actually. Um, And the best part about it for me is these types of mattresses, uh, you don't notice when somebody else gets out of bed. If the dog gets up and walks off the bed to go downstairs, I don't have to worry about it because the springs are not are not bouncing around and, and jostling me on the other side of the mattress. Um, they understand the importance of truly trying out a mattress um, that you really spend like a third of your life on. And really, this is the important part here. You get a 100-day trial period with free delivery and painless returns. That's right. After 100 days, if you don't like the mattress, if you feel like it's not for you, you can send it back. I don't think that will be the case for you, but you have that flexibility and that option. That's pretty impressive. Uh, impressive. Casper mattresses are made in the USA. You get free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. And you can get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And those are actually really good prices already. But 
We can save an additional $50 if you go to casper.com slash PCPer and use offer code PCPer. That's casper.com slash PCPer. Use promo code PCPer. Terms and conditions do apply. And we thank Casper for their support of the PC Perspective podcast. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, I think this is the last. Oh, wait. That's news. We're into the news. We made it through the refusing editorials. Sweet. Uh, so Sebastian newsed up some, uh, water-cooled GTX 1080 goodness. Right, Sebastian? Yeah, this is, Corsair did this before with the 1080, or the, sorry, the 980 Ti. And it's similar to MSI's, what was it, the Seahawk? Yep. So it's a, it's a joint venture. I think it's an MSI video card with a Corsair H55 cooler, just like they did with the 980 Ti. So, if you're familiar with that product, this is the same cooler, just with a 1080. The price, I think it's just under $800 for this with the cooler. 750 Okay, yeah, 750 So, definitely a price premium, but as their little graph shows, they're promising much higher sustained boost speeds. But I'm sure that's that might be the case with almost any high-performance aftermarket cooler, so... Your needs may vary, but if you liked their products before, as far as, you know, I know EVGA does this too, the hybrid cooler setup. And I think both of these designs use a fan still. It still has a shroud that looks like the stock cooler shroud, and it still uses a fan for the VRMs. All right. Uh, as, as a quick teaser, I see the box containing one of those in the office. So, yeah. Oh, this Corsair one? I do. Nice. I do, yeah. So, stay tuned. Yep. All I right, don't cool see deal. anything. Nope. Aww. Josh doesn't have anything. Nope. Poor Josh. All um, I've got is two children, a wife, and a dirty floor. And, and no 1080s that are water-cooled. And none of them are water-cooled. None. Well, thank goodness. Because that'd be gross. Uh, okay, so uh, a few things from Flash Memory Summit that I apparently had not written up by the time you guys were podcasting last week. Um, Supermicro had some pretty cool stuff uh, on display there. They were showing some. The, the key here for all these chassis was uh, how many. Look at those 40 millimeter fans. Uh, yeah. Those things yep. sound like jet turbines. All 16 of them. Or like my wife when I tell her she can't go to Bloomingdale's. Mm. But I, I have seen in a lot of these cases lately that they've they've kind of smartened up um, on like actually throttling, like putting those even those fans on some sort of a controller to where they're not spinning it, you know, however many fifteen thousand RPM or what, whatever speed they have to go. Um, but the I idea just here, like the whole forty-eight drive thing. Well, we're not we're not we're not there yet. We're only at, oh. there's only ten here. Sorry, I'm getting so, excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting excited. So there's, so there's 10 SSDs. Well, the trick here, though, is that these are 10 PCIe by 4 NVMe SSDs, and which is a little bit tricky to hook that many of them up to, you know, say, a couple of Xeons, right? Um, there are enough lanes across two Xeons to hook up 10 of those, right? So that gives you, um, gives you 40 lanes worth of PCIe. And, uh, you know, you can kind of see how it's laid out. And, but... Then there was this next one that hooks up 24 
uh, of those up to uh, again a couple a pair of Xeons, and they do that because they have um, the equivalent of what's on like a dual GPU graphics card, right? They have sort of PLX switch chips that are able to uh, you know multiplex a bunch of PCI lanes down to uh, a fewer amount, so that you can funnel all those SSD lanes down into you know just a couple of Xeons. But if that's not enough, then they have like the double decker there, which is uh, actually has a section of it that rotates upwards so that you can do hot swaps with the uh, chassis racked out of the rack a little bit. Um, and that thing holds 48 drives. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Um, so if you were, I mean, realize that in that case, for that system, uh, you are saturated in your amount of throughput you can do by all basically almost all of the lanes on two Xeon CPUs. Like you're just saturating the heck out of that those poor processors. Um so if you're running audio through that and and you've got those all together, you're gonna probably get some skips, right? Um because yeah. you know I know a lot of essays, sysadmins that Listen to their server. No, you you listen to your server. Oh yeah, I only when my users complain. Oh, yeah, I would imagine audio. Uh, this should be able to keep up with the the bandwidth of a few audio streams. Okay. Um. Yeah, it will also cost a pretty penny because if you wanted to buy forty eight, uh, you know, of say those Micron ninety one hundreds we just reviewed a few weeks back, uh, that might cost you a little bit. You know, but you can get those things in 3.2 terabytes a piece. But aren't you worth it? Oh, yeah. 3.2 terabytes times 48. That'd be nice. Um, hey, U.S. Navy and NSA could afford it. I don't even think those guys are using that stuff. <laughs> it's the they're Navy. using two terabyte spinning drives. It's the Navy and the DoD, Everything. yeah, they're still using spinning drives probably. It's, you know, oh well. But they got this really expensive BitTorrent server set up in the back. Yeah. Uh, so oh. if 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 one NVMe SSD connected to a uh, by four link wasn't enough, uh, how about if you connected four of them to the single by four link? So Liquid L I Q I D uh, showed a few things that were kind of spread sprinkled all around the uh, expo hall of uh, Flash Memory Summit. There, there at Toshiba. They were showing some Toshiba Enterprise M.2 parts that were put into these two different liquid, uh, like two and a half inch and a half height, half length products. But then over at Kingston, they were showing like they're going to put their name on these things and, and build them, and but they're actually going to be the liquid uh, things. Um, they're showing what's possible with both of them. And so they had two and a half inch. So this is the same form factor as what as like that Micron 9100 that we tested. Um, however, this one has no problem saturating PCIe 3.0 by 4 because there's actually four M.2 SSDs in there and a PLX chip. Um, the catch is that they are not rated. So, like, it, you know, it's going to present to your host operating system or whatever it is you connect it to as four drives just that went through a PLX chip, right? So you'll, you'll see four M.2 SSDs connect to your system, and then however you want to raid them, or if your software can talk to multiple drives at the same time, 
that's fine. It just that's that's on you. Like putting tying them together is is uh, the responsibility of the user, basically. However, it is you want to tie them together. Um, so the the U.2 part is only four lanes of PCIe. However, they have a half height half length part that is also a by eight connector, and that guy is it's got a lot of caps on it. Uh, it's yeah, that's to help with power loss and and whatnot. Um, but or when you lick it to see if it's still running. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's only twelve volts on them, so you know, you only get Tasty. you only get tingles like a nine volt battery kind of thing. It wouldn't it wouldn't uh, you wouldn't get that much of a charge out of it. Um, so that guy looked like it was able to do pretty well as well. I mean, one point three million IOPS. That is not saturating. Um, Eight lanes of PCIe because you need about like 1.8 million or so to saturate with 4K random. Um, however, still pretty darn good uh, for a single half height half length uh, device. So I'm, I'm Kingston's obviously going to be going after enterprise like their enterprise arm. You're not going to expect like a consumer, you know. Kingston HyperX Predator, you know, yeah, just slap a HyperX logo on that thing and sell it. To yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't Come think on. that's, I don't think that's what they're going for. Um, I think they're just. But at the same to, time, like Kingston's trying to sell me something for my data center, really. I mean, Kingston really? has Kingston does a lot of business in data center, like two and a half inch SATA SSDs. Yeah, no, they do, but just yeah. branded like a system, like Dell brings you or HP brings you, I could sort of accept. But like, yes, here's yeah. Kingston HyperX server for you. I mean, I don't think hey. I don't think they would be going after that kind of market unless they thought that it would stick. Um, well, I mean, no one else know. is going to buy an SSD like that right now because it's just oh, yeah. no need. Right. Well, it depends on you know what you're going for. Like if you if you have really high IOs per second throughput and you don't necessarily want to have like one of those super micro chassis full of SSDs, like you just don't need that much capacity, right? Then like this would be better for random, like you know, higher random performance because you're spreading the load across more. You know, you could keep your latency lower. Yeah. At the same miles per second compared to if you just had a single U.2 part in that slot. Um, so it might be kind of a good stopgap for companies like they don't want to upgrade all their chassis or something like that. They just want to swap something in that will give them four SSDs in the spot of one SSD. So, you know, I'm I'm sure it'll have its place. Um. It might kind of get its lunch eaten by uh, Crosspoint for people wanting really high IOs per second stuff. Um, because Micron... That doesn't look like a thousand times. Uh, actually, so here's we're the thing. almost a thousand times. Yeah, I know. There's so many people who are complaining <laughs> about this. Oh, but they said it's a thousand times faster. Like, okay. So let's clear this up right now. So Crosspoint, if you looked at a Crosspoint die versus a NAND flash die... And you requested some information from Crosspoint versus requesting some information from NAND. Yeah, the Crosspoint is going to turn that stuff around like one thousandth of the amount of time. The problem is, if you try to put that stuff in a store, what's called a storage class device, in other words, like a regular SSD, right? There's a bunch of other links in the chain there, right? You need a controller. This controller's got to be really, really fast, right? Like modern day SSD controllers were designed kind of like back when AHCI was designed for the use with hard drives. And then SSDs came out, they were much faster. The initial ones were not that much faster. The controllers weren't really that speedy. So over time, over and took like, you know, 
six or seven years where the controllers are now super, super fast, but they're only fast enough to handle NAND stuff. Like, you're going to design your controller around NAND stuff. You're not going to design your controller around something that is as speedy as RAM or close to the speed of RAM uh, because, it, you know, RAM is designed to be accessed just straight from the CPU and vice versa, right? The CPU is designed to handle, you know, just ask, ask the RAM for stuff, get it back really fast. So when you have a bunch of other links in the chain there, the other things are going to lead to a slowdown. Despite that, um, if you look at this demo... Uh, you have to realize that at Q depth of one, uh, and it applies to this too, but like a, like a P3700 and even a Micron 9100 here, at a Q depth of one, uh, the IOPS performance that you get is actually really, really low, right? Um, I mean, we're talking like 10 or 20,000 IOPS because there's just not enough, like one request is just going to go to one of those flash dies on the SSD. So even though you have a bunch of parallelism within the SSD, if you're only asking for things one at a time, it can only go so fast, right? Because you're still waiting for a latency. You're still waiting for NAND to do its read operation, which does take some time. Uh, Crosspoint at QDEPTH of 1 goes over 300,000 IOPS. And it saturates PCIe 3.0 by 4 with only four commands ahead. So it only gets to QDEPTH of 4, and it's already saturated its interface. Um, and that's at 900,000 IOPS. Over 900,000? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 900,000 also, at the same IOPS. time, I challenge you to feed data to it fast enough that that actually matters. That's the thing. Yeah, like... Hey, Mr. Zuckerberg would like gone. to talk to you, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like... I mean, you can do that if you have... You have to have stuff that's really, you know, I.O. intensive running on your server. And you have to throw a few cores at just the thing talking to that storage. Because just for NVMe protocol overhead, um, I mean, you're going to suck up at least a couple of cores worth of CPU power, uh, you know, just to handle that I.O. at that speed. Uh, But if that wasn't enough, oh, and by the way, here's what a prototype, uh, prototype crosspoint part looks like. That's Micron's Quant X. I like the orb cooler. Yeah, they have have the old school orb core on it. Uh, That's just, you know, they have an FPGA on it. It's not an ASIC. It's not, you know, fully developed yet. Um, so that is very much a prototype board. So there's but a warning daughter- say, attention, if you touch the fan, you will get your fingers chopped yes, off. Yes, yes, it will, or your fan blade will break off. Achtung, achtung. So there's two daughter boards on the side, the crosspoint yep. memory packages. Those are crosspoint. That's cool. In the flesh, sitting there. Um, it, is that like in a HD audio header at the bottom? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can listen to the crosspoint. Yes. So you, so you can, in you can stream more bit 192 <laughs> kilohertz sound. Yes, you can stream your music directly from the crosspoint. This is just to solve Josh's request from earlier. Exactly. If you wanted um, to listen to a thousand different songs at the same time, this is your baby. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um so they showed that demo. The thing I the thing I showed last week was the was the other plot as well, which was they had a half height, half length uh, by eight card, and it saturated by eight. In other words, it did 1.8 million IOPS at a Q depth of eight. It was like Q depth of seven or eight. Um, so this stuff will pretty much just saturate, like almost instantly saturate whatever you throw at it. Um, and yeah, throw it at my wife. Well, and. Um, what I've noticed by looking at how the architecture works so far, like how their controllers have worked so far, it looks like 
today, if you were to, and, and there were even people in the comments on this story and the other story, like, oh, you know, it's not going as fast as they said. Like, if you were to try to make an NVMe SSD today that had DRAM instead of NAND flash, it would go about this fast. Like, it, this yep. would be the kind of speed that you would see. We can't um, process the bits fast enough. That's the thing, yeah. There, there's so many other links in the chain. Like, so this is, you know, and it, this demo at that 300,000 IOPS, uh, Intel's demo from IDF last year, which IDF is going on right now, but IDF last year they showed a demo, and their Q-Depth 1 went from, you know, like 12,000 on their P3700 versus like 80-something thousand. So... A year ago, with their controller tech that they had that they could put into a demo, they only got 80-something thousand. Now it's a year later. The crosspoint is the same. Like, it's the same tech. It's not like it's going more than a thousand times faster than an AND or anything. It's, it's, it is what it is. So just basically just from controller and implementation changes, they went from 80,000 last year to now demo showing over 300,000 at QDEPF1. So... It's like, you know, you can get the more speed out of it, like you just have other bottlenecks that you need like to Like the RAM remove. and the CPU? Uh, no, I don't think it's really the RAM <laughs> and the CPU. Um, no, but it's transport, transporting the data. Yeah, well, actually, it, I haven't written up anything on this yet, but you might actually be kind of like a little, like, touching on something there, Jeremy, because uh, I was looking... Inappropriately touching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you always. Um, because I was looking into some into some other things that came out from Flash Memory Summit, and even one of the talks that I sat in on, um, it's getting to the point where that speed is so fast when you have, when you have like a cross-point device. Uh, if you think about how you request something from storage, like within a modern kernel, and like a modern NVMe driver, you ask for something, and then the assumption is that it's going to take longer, like it's going to take long enough to where it's silly to just wait for it. So what happens is you ask for it, and then, you know, the CPU can go on and do other things, right? And then it waits for an interrupt to happen. And then the interrupt happens like, hey, your, your dad is ready. And then, you know, CPU diverts its attention back to the NVMe driver and then, you know, gets the data and does whatever else it needs to do with it. So that's just like interrupt-based storage. And interrupt stuff has been fine since like the hard drive days, right? Because hard drives took a really long time. So the assumption was, well, I'm not just going to sit here for like 10 milliseconds and just like stop everything I'm doing and wait, wait for the hard drive, right? Now it's getting to the point where it's taking longer for the CPU to do the context switch to divert its attention back <laughs> to the driver than the NVMe cross-point device took to get the data in the first place. So it's basically like, okay, you know, ask for some data from the cross-point thing, and if you're using the old assumptions, CPU tries to divert its attention to whatever it was doing otherwise. As soon as it got done with that context switch, the data is ready. So now it has to do another context switch and it has to dump all its registers to, to the stack and et cetera. And then it has to like go and try to get that back. So it's the CPU is actually adding latency now with a standard NVMe driver and cross point. So they're actually experimenting with things called polling drivers, which is where yeah. the CPU asks for the stuff, but then it just sits there and spins until it's back. It just goes basically into an infinite loop or some hopefully power saving version of an infinite loop. <laughs> and um, we kind of hope. We kind of hope. Um, but it wouldn't even be that many cycles of an infinite loop because we're talking about such, you know, such a low latency. Um, so that's just, you know, something interesting for the future, uh, to consider and also consider that the next iteration of cross point when it is a thing will just be in the form of dims. So it'll just be dims that the CPU can speak directly to. You'll have to have some BIOS tweaks 
for the system to for it to handle it more as storage and partition it more as storage than just as directly as RAM that the, that the CPU you know would access a, as RAM because you don't want to talk to Crosspoint as if it was RAM completely because you actually you can actually still burn the stuff out. Um, you know, yeah, you, but that's what the little software is for to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll still you'll have kind of, kind of sort of some kind of a storage stack, something to manage it a little bit more like it's storage, you know. But it won't be, you know, the interface will be much faster, and it won't necessarily have an NVMe layer that needs to go through. It might be some other kind of layer. Um, but, but yeah, right now the poor CPU is as confused as you would be if you're ordering a pizza and the guys at the door knocking before you manage to hang the phone up. Yeah. It's getting that crazy. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, all right. So enough about that one. Um, uh, here's something interesting that's uh, pretty quick to cover. Fizon E8 controller. Uh, so the E8 is like, you know, we've seen like 950 Pros and Puckster M6Cs and like all these other, you know, anything, uh, Kingston HyperX Predator, anything that's like in an NVMe uh, M.2 SSD, they always tend to be PCIe 3.0 by 4. Well, turns out you can make the controller a little bit cheaper if you don't put four lanes of PCIe on it. Because that, that phi, that logic to be able to do that communication to that speed actually, you know, costs some money uh, to put, to integrate into the controller and make work. Um, so, turns out if you drop that down to two lanes, uh, you can actually drop the controller cost down to the equivalent cost of an SSD controller that is a SATA part, which is very interesting because potentially you can, you know, in the very near future, be buying a uh, an SSD that has a Fizon uh, NVMe uh, E8 controller in it, and theoretically that would be the same cost as a SATA SSD, which is good for adoption. So what's right? the advantage here? Latency? Uh, the advantage as far as what? What do you mean? Between a, let's say, a two-channel NVMe controller and a two-channel AHEI controller sitting on a... Oh. Like, the, the traditional PCIe SSDs we saw before NVMe existed. Uh, yeah, so AHCI is... Gives you... Uh, AHCI is higher latency because a Windows kernel doing storage stuff over HCI has to go jump through more loops just to set up the transfer, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot of legacy stuff in the way. So NVMe knocks some of that stuff down. So moving to NVMe is good, right? And we've seen other NVMe parts in M.2 form factor, but they're by eight. Or, yeah. Sorry, by four. By four. Yeah, they're by right. four. So And significantly more expensive. And so, Yeah, and much more expensive. So if you can drop that down to by two and save, you know, shave off a few dollars off of the cost of the controller, you can hopefully get even more adoption. So you would like, theoretically, you shouldn't even see AHCI M.2 stuff. Which anymore, we anymore. don't really anymore, but we just really, in theory. They're still there. There's a one or two kind of things, but like, there's no excuse for it anymore once this comes out, right? Um, and you are going to saturate that interface, you know, faster, right? Uh, but if you're putting, but if you're going for cost, chances are your flash memory is not going to be super, super speedy or that many channels, you know, that many dies in there. You're not going to go for, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see like a two terabyte E8 controlled m.2 ssd or something like that like you're not going to try to make a premium capacity model or something like that yeah but so, you could make it two terabyte NVMe drive cheap that way uh, maybe you could well no because like once you get up to that high of a cost like you're paying more for the flash and the controllers a very small percentage of the cost yeah right so knocking a few dollars off the cost of the controller on say uh you know 250 gig m.2 part 
right? That starts to make it cost competitive and even maybe even uh, you know cheaper than like a 950 Pro or anything else for that matter. Um, which is cool, right? It's good. It's just more more adoption of better things, you know, moving forward, basically. Uh, and we need more competition. Like we need things to drive down the costs of the 950 Pros. Honestly, mm-hmm. like the more the more cheaper NVMe M.2 things that launch, the more Samsung and you know the makers of the higher performing parts will have to drop their price to compete. Even if they had higher performance, like you're just gonna have more people just moving towards the cheaper stuff, which still performs decently. All right, uh, what's this? Uh, I don't know. What is it? Three gigabyte version of NVIDIA's GTX 1060. Oh, has 128 fewer cores. Interesting. Yeah, so they they went for a trim and they they got a little off the tip too. Uh, Ouch. Okay, so it looks like did, uh, did they have a Mohel do do yeah do some design on the silicon? He's a PM. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was going to be a three gig version of the 1060. Uh, that is the part of the news here. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And it's still six pin. So, so not just that it's going to have fewer cores, but that it It is a thing in the first place. From this slide, it exists. Uh, I I mean, well, is that maybe something that will be exclusive to overseas as a part? Because like this slide is in another language. My Um, conjecture was that it would be an OEM product. Okay. Yeah, but why, they don't usually talk about OEM products in this sort of like with this sort of slide. Yeah. Right. I yeah. agree. Maybe it's a retail product. Maybe it'll be at Best Buy. I don't know. Yeah, but maybe. We've seen this before. Like, remember the GTX 660? And there was another version of the 660 that actually had the same number of cores we're talking about here is 1152. And it was a product that was like in between. This, the regular 660, which only had 960 cores, and then the uh, 660 Ti. So it was like this weird in-between product. And instead of going with a naming, like back in the 500 series era where we had the 560 Ti 448, <laughs> yes. which I actually owned. I forgot about that stupid yeah, Which was a cut-down 570, but only very slightly cut down and less cut down than a... I guess the 560 Ti was a different chip or something, but... And then there were sometimes... Weird product names. There were sometimes where they actually, like, went up or met themselves in the middle between two things, like the yeah. 480 Core 216, or the 460 yeah. Core 216, or whatever. Really, this should be a 1060... Uh, LE 1152. QM... Yeah, but the other weird thing is that none of their products have 1152 CUDA cores. Yeah, that's true. This, yeah, this not is not something we've seen with Pascal. So, I mean, this is probably just what a bending thing. Like they have some parts coming off the line that just don't have 1280 cores that are good. So they're just like, well, let's just introduce this other SKU that has uh, and chop half the memory off yeah. at the same time because some of it's buggered. Well, uh, yeah, you might actually. It can be an addressing thing too. Not just an address. No, not really that. Uh, I don't think there's an addressing thing related with if you just trimmed a few more cores off, but there is probably binning for the memory controller. Yeah. Right? Which like would also do it. Parts or, of the memory controller. That or are not it's just functioning. cheaper to put three gigs of memory on a board than six gigs. True. That too. But by probably a not insignificant amount. And, well, for a lot of games, like if you're, if you're getting a 1060. You're probably not running like the high end games that need a whole lot of VRAM. So yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be running anything. You should be running 1080p. Yeah. At 
high quality settings probably yeah for so, a 10 I mean, three gigs should be plenty for a 1060 in the first place you should be playing a 1080p mm-hmm. yeah so like i think it would work you know maybe you should be playing at no what sorry that i have a joke when they come out with the 1050 it's fine. oh okay 1050p uh okay uh, any anything else on that before we uh before we move on well i guess i guess we'll see what form that ever takes if any yeah might just get shoved into a couple dell machines and we'll never see the light of day that's true maybe it's a low profile version of the card but those kids will be able to play minecraft at blazingly fast fps in vr speaking of vr speaking of vr uh (laughs) how'd you like that yeah uh so idf 2016 which is where ryan is currently camping out at uh untethered vr and ar experiences promised from intel in the form of alloy, which is interesting. Um, Intel two different VR metals pressed together, not yeah. with consent. So I, I saw a picture of this, and it had a cord, and I was like, well, what's the cord for? But I guess it was just to output the video to... Uh, is to he their... picking up the Stanley Cup? He, he, a really badly formed <laughs> Stanley really Cup. badly rendered uh, Stanley Cup. He's actually uh, reenacting a scene from Ghost. Well, that explains the spray on his face. He's doing uh, he's doing CNC, whatever lathe turning of the yeah, part. Demi like, within a VR? Yeah, I don't. This know. this was the image that they referred to as the money shot. The money shot is that <laughs> you can see his hands, or this was the money shot. This was that the money was shot. Money. Oh, well, they did One refer to it as next. a money shot. Okay, yeah. I mean, you can you can see that. So uh, the idea here is that they are. What was the name of that thing that you can get? Max that would see where your hands were and stuff. It was like a... Elite Motion? Yeah, Elite that, Motion. It's not just for OS ten. That's for Windows. Okay. Well, I mean, I know you can use it on both, but like when they advertised it initially, it was like, you know, they were always showed it connected to an iMac or whatever, so sure. it's, it's stuck on my head. But like, so is this essentially that, or is it just using a webcam? Because it looks more like a camera it, looking at the probably hands. using RealSense, if I had to take a guess? So Because okay. they put yep. all that money into that thing. Yeah. It's probably not Connect, so I'm going to go with RealSense. <laughs> Okay, so it tracks your hands. And look at the masking. Look at how look at how yeah. sharply yeah. It looks like yeah. rendered those hands appear. It, it looks like making a point cloud out of stereo cameras does actually. Uh, I, I guess. Yeah, you know. Huh. It could be the glare from his You know, points. you can only have so much processing power. Yeah, so, so Okay, we, so they're tracking they're tracking their hands from the headset. So, in theory, you don't need controllers. Okay, that's fine. But what kind of hardware they got in this thing? Do they say anything about that? I don't. I doubt they did. Because what would Intel possibly put in here? Uh, uh, one know. of their oh, canceled like mobile Adam parts. Yeah, exactly. Right? One of their canceled mobile parts with a bad GP. Like oh. I don't. Yeah, I don't understand. So this is where Adam goes. Okay, sure. But Adam I mean, doesn't have a strong enough GPU to do any of that stuff. True. That's true. It's That's why better, they rented one that. from Imagination. Oh, yeah, no. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting demo, but, I mean, you know. In, Intel discovered that VR is hot, and hey, and hey, hey we, we, we should do something. Yeah, we, we, should, we, should, we should do VR. We should do We've that. only got a month away. <laughs> let's, let's do something with it. Quit, yeah. qu- grab an atom and strap Start it on your head. The interns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. That's enough of that one. Okay. Uh, oh, 
IDF 2016. All right, so uh, yeah, I wrote this up kind of as a kickoff to the IDF thing as far as storage stuff because we had some inf- information come in. This was really just more of a wrap-up, or not a wrap-up, but like kind of a lead-in post for the the cross-point stuff, and I actually included a chart or two in that that talked about the stuff I was talking about earlier, which was, hey, look, you're going to have a bottleneck elsewhere if you reduce your NVM, like, or your flash memory transfer speed to, like, nothing kind of thing. And, um, yeah. So did you see what they announced during the talk? Uh... Air guitars, which talk the one that drums you, the the one that you wrote this post about teasing, uh, was the, it, the one Ryan couldn't get into because the room was full. It, yeah, that was. I thought I did another post on that, which I don't think is in the notes. Well, um, we can talk about it. Yeah, let me find. Let me find the. Uh, hold on, I got. Well, I gotta, you know, I got to change gears. Write about the things I said about you. I got to change gears, Alan. But we can talk about it. No, no, I actually wrote about it. I got to find it. Gotta find the post. We can talk if you want to. Do not remember okay. all that time you spent making that. We can cross- leave your friends behind. All right, so so check this out. Uh, you guys might. Fallon don't talks about shit. Uh huh. Yeah, he ain't no. We didn't talk about the cube. So, or is that a prism? How many? Dang, we've been like putting a lot of stuff up on site in the past like twenty four hours. Gosh. Um. Okay. So you might be used to virtualization stuff. From the respect of, hey, I can build one big server and then I can have a bunch of small VMs running on it and, you know, save my resources and whatnot. But um, what if you wanted to go the other way? Like, Josh frequently likes to go both ways in the server room, right? You know what? I am a conscientious member of modern society. What happens in the server room stays, <laughs> stays in the server room. room. In the server room, in the server room no one can hear your cries over the 40-millimeter fan. Unless yes. it hits yeah. the 40-millimeter fan there, and it's everywhere. Yep. Yeah. You, are, you are the model of a modern major sysadmin? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Okay, so you can, with virtualization, go the other way. You can take a bunch of hardware, a bunch of servers, merge them all into a single like virtualized setup hardware all attached to a single massive VM. Uh, and by massive, we're talking about like 32,000 CPU cores and two petabytes of RAM and stuff like that. Boy, how the hell did Miguel get enough money to buy that? Uh, I don't know. But um, so there's a company called Scale MP, and it looks like they're the, like, the, the, the big deal in this version of the space. Like, you have the VMwares and the Citrixes and the stuff doing the other thing, but, like, this is... You're trying to get a whole bunch of systems packed into one massive system. Massive, like, you know, hopefully that's a server server OS uh, accessing all that stuff. And a very reliable one, I would hope, because if it goes down, it's not like you have another VM. Um, but apparently this is a big deal because there's a whole bunch of people signed on with these guys. Um, and have been using it for various projects that need just a crap load of PC hardware just thrown at one one instance of an OS, right? Um, so previously they've been able to do all sorts, you know, you could pull all sorts of things. You can pull a bunch of memory together, you can pull a bunch of CPUs together, have a bunch of I.O. Uh, this kind of makes sense for something that could be, uh, like, fill in for Crosspoint stuff. And it is. That was the announcement of the show, is that um, the Scale MP guys have optimized their solution for Optane SSDs. Like, they worked with Intel and presumably got their hands on a few of those prototypes and, um, you know, uh, rearranged some of uh, how they work their solution so that it can 
also handle uh, you know accessing crosspoint memory. And the cool thing is that since the ScaleMP stuff is all virtualized in the first place, they can actually map the NVMe accessed crosspoint as if it was RAM. So you could have an actual address space directly in memory that just kind of ends up translating via the uh, ScaleMP software uh, virtualization layer straight to NVMe storage, um, which is cool. You probably couldn't pull that off with NAND flash because it would lead to horribly slow memory. This will probably be faster. You're still bottlenecked by the fabric that's connecting those machines together, and you're bottlenecked by the, lat- the extra bit of latency you get from the NVMe stack, and you're probably going to be pegging the heck out of the cores of the system that has the cross-point thing installed in it because it's just going to be saturating threads with like trying to talk over NVMe instead of talking directly to RAM, but it's still going to be fast storage that's non-volatile, um, which I'm sure is going to have a place somewhere in, you know, projects and sciences and and whatnot. So I just thought that was an interesting stopgap to kind of get, even though there, there are not cross-point DIMMs available yet, this could give you the same sort of effect in a roundabout way. Um, at least to kind of, you know, get enterprise customers by for a little while. And there's where that cross-point sits in the whole grand scheme of things in a logarithmic scale. Um, but did you see the other Optane thing? Uh, what was the other Optane thing? Which one? They announced that they're going to give their enterprise partners access to Optane SSDs running on virtualized servers yeah. instead of shipping them samples because they don't want it to get out. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to do cloud-based, like, and I've actually asked for permission to, <laughs> like, see if I can get in on this. And yeah. so I would like to, you know, I'd be able to benchmark. I could do my benchmarks remotely. Yeah. I'd much rather do them in person, but, you know. <laughs> um it does kind of raise some issues because, like, who knows what fire-breathing hardware they have in those servers that's acting as a test bed. So I can't really do, like, an apples-to-apples comparison unless I plug the cross-point thing into the same test bed that I just tested the NAND SSD on. But Yeah, I bet that I bet that's a big part of the reason. Uh, we want to make sure you have no other bottlenecks. Here, run your application on this server. Uh, Yeah. And then you see how well it'll run. Hey, we will sell you... I will pay you Tuesday for through these, hard, through these partners. Uh, yeah. Anyway. How many people get the Popeye reference with that anymore? Uh, some of us still do. Yeah, some. I don't know. Okay, enough of the storage stuff. Uh, Skyrim is not done with you yet. Uh, oh, someone added a... No, oh, that's ain't. Jeremy's pick. Oh. Enderal. Did I just get to which the picks? sounds like a really yeah. nice suppository. Hold on, wait. Did we run out of news? Oh. Yes. We ran out of news. Oh, well then I guess uh, Hardware's Offer Picks of the Week. Okay, uh, Jeremy, go Skyrim. Sure, sorry. Yeah, so you <laughs> called it a mod. No, this is an 8 gig full conversion from a bunch of German developers that did one for Oblivion that you might remember if you're old enough to have actually enjoyed Oblivion. Uh, which was Nairim. So you get more of a Germanic uh, storyline, background, uh, skill sets are a little bit different. Uh, I think more like CD Projekt Red because it's sort of very different from American fairy tales and such. And it's free. 
Uh, they did it in German first. They finally completed the English translation, uh, full voice acting and everything. It's really and, better than the original German, though, wouldn't you say? Ah, it, it, I couldn't talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah. But apart from that, as you can just see from that screenshot, it's a wee frickin' bit different. Just a little. So, free, if you got uh, Skyrim on Steam, uh, I kind of mentioned, like, it hasn't been tested for the 879 mods that are the default <laughs> install for most people now. What it does do is create a separate install folder, so it sort of duplicates. So, uninstall Skyrim, unmod it, put it back, put this in, and then get, you know... Uh, your, your your mods, as I mentioned, the Thomas the Tank Engine. Although, I, I personally prefer uh, Randy Macho Savage for my dragons. <laughs> That's just me, though. Mm. Josh, All right. next me, up. Uh, you may not notice this, but there's a sale going on at Origin. You can get Battlefield Four for five bucks. Yeah, it doesn't have any of the extras, and you know. Damn it! Do Four, I have to do five I, bucks? Do Come I on. now have to make an Origin account just so that I can have this game somewhere? Five don't bucks? do sure, it. Not? No, I will not. You Good. don't. I won't even do or it for Mass that. Mass Effect or Star Wars or no, nope, nope. still well, not. How even many get free games have you out? I'm surprised you don't have an Origin account yet. I don't. It's, they do offer some really nice free games now and then. It's true. Well, yeah. yeah. If I had nice. some easy way to get like a feed of what was currently free on there, so I could just add it to an account or something. Well, all you like, need but... to do is read Twitter, numnuts. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. So Five if only bucks, I had an easy feed. Four. <laughs> cool. That's good stuff. Okay. Uh, who's next? Is you. It me? I'm next. So I played this demo, which has been out for a while. I played this demo for budget cuts. Uh, any any of you guys heard of this thing? Mm-hmm. It is like a spy type of game, except in VR, and it uses the portal style kind kind of sort of pseudo portal style getting around mechanic, where it kind of like launches this little ball out of the gun, and then like, but you have a portal where you can look through into the space where you're about to jump before you actually jump to that space. But just. The whole thought of this game is still only a demo. They don't have the final version out. And in my opinion, like, that game needs to be out yesterday. Because, holy crap, this game is so cool. Um, just, the, just the fact that, like, the first time I had to go into a safe or something, uh, like, I actually had to crouch down. Because the safe was under a desk. And I was like, oh, okay. So you actually, like, this is probably the thing where people watching you play the game probably think that you're playing a spy game because like you're just doing all this kind of like spy kind of stuff like you're actually throwing throwing knives like sideways and like you know in the game it's like these robots that are trying to get you but um yeah it's just it's just such a freaking cool game you know like you can play through the demo in like a matter of you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes but um, I ended up playing through the demo like three times because <laughs> it was just so cool and I was like okay this is really badass VR stuff. Anyway, they say the release date is just 2016. I imagine probably in time for Christmas. Hopefully, probably maybe a little sooner than that. I don't know. They got my money whenever it does come out. Definitely. Um, 
Anyway, oh yeah, and the author of that thing is apparently was invited to work at Valve for a month huh. nice. on the game because they apparently saw the demo and was like, "Oh hey, this might be a really cool game. Like we should support this dude." So yeah. All right. Well, that's it for me, Sebastian. What do you got? Okay, so if you read audio reviews online at all, like speaker reviews, the British sites like What Hi-Fi rave about a brand called Q Acoustics because they are supposed to be about the best you can do for a very little amount of money. They they win awards in kind of the under $250 range for a pair of speakers. A lot. What, what, and what? Yeah. You've never been able to buy them here unless you imported them. And Q Acoustics just set up their own U.S. store finally for the first time mm. at the end of last month. So you can go onto their official website, and they also have an eBay store. And they sell just at their normal cost. There's no markup. They have free shipping. We're talking like $129 to $159 for a basic pair of very, very highly rated bookshelf speakers. And these are like... The previous gen, it's kind of cool. They still sell their previous gen speakers, even though the 3020 and the 3010 are the current ones, for way, way less. You can get like the 2020i's, which were the five-star top-rated like mid-sized bookshelf speaker a couple of years ago in this price range for like 159 bucks shipped. So, how, how big are these? Okay, so that's a four-inch. The little ones are four-inch drivers, and then the mid-sized ones are five-inch drivers. They have, they have floor-standing speakers and some bigger speakers, too, but... In this kind of $250 or less category, there are 5-inch and 4-inch drivers. They don't go down that deep, about 65 hertz. They are base reflex, so they have a port. They'll In, in your room, they'll be a little bit deeper. Yeah. But uh, I have heard nothing but great things about these. I've never heard a pair, and now it's very tempting because you can buy, like, you know, 159 so, bucks. Are, are these... Are, I might be remembering this wrong. Are these the ones that was like this famous speaker maker no. that kept topping companies? No, they're not the same. No. Okay. Yeah, it had been for a while. Like of the top rated speakers under five hundred dollars, you could buy Monitor Audio's Bronze BX2 or B2. You could buy, um, like Boston Acoustics A26 are, are obviously available here. Yeah. Then you go, but then none of the cheap, really good ones, other than those Pioneers by Andrew Jones, were available here. Now you have like a, a oh, little bit of an incremental and, yeah. step over those. Andrew Jones was the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, the Andrew Jones stuff is still available. It's like 119 bucks for a pair of those. So for a little bit more, you get speakers that have a higher, like a more balanced sound, better top end. The Andrew Jones are a little bit soft on the top end, yeah. but very good bass. Yeah. So... Anyway, just throwing it out there because it's available in the U.S. finally. So if you were getting either like the Andrew Jones ones or these and you wanted to use them with like a typical PC setup, what would you drive them with? Any kind of high efficiency, smaller amp, like desktop amplification. A lot of it's class D. A lot of it's really small. Yeah. And a lot of it's not very good. NAD has that 3020 they reimagined as a class D amp. That sells for three ninety nine new. So you're spending more on the amp than you're spending on the speakers. Oh, yeah. For it, these. It, it, if you were buying like a, I, I would say the best budget amp I've ever heard is the Yamaha AS five hundred, which you can find secondhand for less than three hundred dollars, and you're going to spend about five hundred on a pair of you know mid range bookshelf speakers. But these Q acoustics are so cheap, you're going to be spending more on your amp than you are on the speakers. Yeah. I've never heard. 
like a really good $200 amp, but it depends on what you're doing with it. Huh. Like buy a secondhand like receiver. You're gonna find an old receiver or a two channel amp, you know, in the vintage market, probably really cheap. Like back in the day, when you could actually still buy this kind of stuff at a Goodwill. Yeah, maybe you still can in some places. But oh, I've seen I've seen receivers at Goodwills. I've got but an old like, Kenwood and an old NAD, and the power supply died on them both. Oh, so I, they're two decent amps. Sounds like a reason to break I, out the soldering iron more than anything. Yeah, but I gotta source the bloody uh, power supply. <laughs> right. That's hard now. It's it's actually a lot harder than I expected. Yeah. I would say just get like the um there's a company called Accessories for Less that's like the official uh, refurbished distributor for places like oh. Marantz and Yamaha in the US. And you go onto their site and at various times their inventory will have one of the Yamaha two channel kind of basic stereo receivers. That have pretty good sound, some of the same features of like the AS500 and some of the more audiophile oriented amps, but you can buy one for about a hundred bucks. That's not bad. So cool. Much rather pick up a $25 power supply and resolder it, but <laughs> hey, if you want to do that, one. that's fine. I have I would have I no idea what to one. get. Yeah. All right. Uh well I guess that wraps it up. Um if you uh, wanted to find stuff we were talking about this week, uh, we'll have the show notes up when the podcast goes up, uh, both of which will be at pcper.com slash podcast. It's com slash pcper if you want to look for the stuff coming out this week. And um, I guess that's it. Anything before we go, guys? Nope. I, I got nothing. Right, nobody's got use the facilities. Nobody's got anything. Oof. All right. Uh, I go to the bathroom? With that, I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walworth. And I'm not muted this time. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Sweet, sweet Sebastian Peak. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.